Welcome to another episode of A Healthy Debate. Hope everyone's doing well. We have been pretty busy. Um, let's do a quick intro. Um, so you are with me and Blair. So I'm Adam, Adam Hamid. I am a personal trainer from the United Kingdom. And um, over here we have Blair, who is a registered dietitian out in uh, Washington, D.C., and so we are here with another episode and today we are talking about success and failure. Is that right? That's correct, yes. We, I guess we will be obviously debating a little bit, talking about both sides to the equation and just kind of how they're intertwined in, I guess, progress in general. Okay, so what do we start with? The success or the failure? I'm not sure you can separate them. Why is that? So in my experience and my personal belief is that success requires failure. Not even from like the, I mean, we can go this deep to the metaphysical of you have to have opposites and duality for one thing to exist. Without without failure, there's no such thing as success. Mm. Kind of like without uh, good, there is no bad, the yin and the yang kind of thing. But Beyond that, I think in order to see progressive improvement and success across whatever it is you're attempting, not even just nutrition and fitness, you have to have failures to learn from to continue to drive success forward. I completely agree in terms of drive success forward, but just to challenge that you can't have success without failures, you can get lucky and you can be successful without even hitting a failure. Yeah, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> That's that is very interesting. Yeah, I just I guess how do you define success would be a good place to start. Very good question. And I don't think there is a very clear answer of that uh, if you're about to google it. <laughs> um, but I think success is usually completing something like a goal or something that you would want to have achieved. So it's completing tasks or whether it's miniature or massive goals, success is, you know, saying I completed what I was supposed to do. Yeah. So the definition is the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. There you go. Um, Which is funny because when you Google the definition of failure, what would you define failure as? Failure. Oh, that's such a tricky one. I would say... I would say giving up. So I see that point. We'll dive into that as well. Um, So the first definition of failure is the lack of success. So failure is defined by success. Based on that definition, you could have success without failure, but not failure without success. Yeah, absolutely. That was a bit of a tongue twister, but yeah. The second definition is the omission of expected or required action. As in giving up. Right. You know, or not trying at all, kind of, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and actually, when I when you look, I specifically Googled the phrase that you used, or not that you used, but success without failure. And it said, the first result is success without failure is just luck. <laughs> I've heard that phrase before, actually. And that's why when you said repeated success um, or continuous success can't happen without failure, I'm in complete agreement and that's why I didn't challenge that bit. It was more so people have or can have success without necessarily 
of ever ever failing but most people can't sustain their success because you know if you don't understand the process of how you got there and the things that were your hurdles and what stopped you moving forwards then how are you supposed to ever improve or make sure you don't ever you know you can only deal with problems when you've dealt with problems in the past or experiences of failure help us deal with uh, with solutions much quicker so i'm guessing like what you're meaning is by continuing to fail and succeed in cycles you become better at adapting to hurdles pitfalls possible issues you could run into along that pathway therefore making success more attainable Mm -hmm. but then obviously you would continue to set sex like what you define as success higher thus creating a continuous cycle of loftier pursuits equals tougher pitfalls equals more failures growth success continues also more resilience as well like success doesn't build resilience failures do and and i think ultimately just you know through this beginning course of the discussion i look at it from the standpoint of success and failure in isolation is a bad thing if you only have one and done it's, you know, a single success is not ultimately successful. It's a one-off, you know, just like if you fail and give up, that's the only true failure because you haven't learned, adapted and continued to drive forward. You know, so I think if you do anything as a, I did it once and now it's done, I guess to deepen that meaning, like a single success without then continuing to seek success in that avenue is giving up the pursuit of becoming better so it's a thing you're not chasing goals you're not continuing to improve you're just like hey i did the one thing now i'm done and same thing with failure is like well i failed once so i might as well give up because that was uncomfortable it's a lack of appreciation for one or the other that's what it is and so um a phrase that my coach used to use quite a lot and and I love it, and I still use it to this day, actually, is hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And that's usually a lack of appreciation because talent won't have had as many failures as hard work. I can see that. And you see it a lot, honestly, if you look, if you look hard enough. Uh, Jerry Rice was not the most physically gifted wide receiver in the NFL, but he's arguably one of the best because of his work ethic. He wasn't especially tall. He was fast. You know, he ran good, but a lot of what made him successful was his attention to detail, his hard work, his effort. Uh, Same Drew Brees, pretty undersized quarterback. I mean, he had to stand on tippy toes to look over his O-line because he was barely touching six foot and has set some of the most records in NFL history at quarter. I mean, like, just putting in attention to detail, effort, and continuous drive can lead to great successes. And just like you said, it's, you know, hard work will beat out talent that doesn't work hard every time. But the key word there is it doesn't matter if you're talented or you're not talented, you still have to work hard at it. And a lot of people will make excuses for people and they will say, oh, well, that person was just naturally gifted or that person was always able to do that. That's why they can keep doing it. But that's not true. Like, even if someone had 
a small level of ability or a large level of ability, they wasn't they weren't able to get to where they wanted to go just because they had a little bit of a gift. They still had to work hard to be able to maximize whatever they wanted to achieve. If we're just talking about like more in my head, I'm thinking more sports athletes right now, but in anything, you know, if you had a knack for numbers and, you know, you wanted to go into banking or whatever you want to talk about, you know, just because you're good with numbers doesn't mean that you're going to get right to the top. You have to continuously push, work hard. You have to do a lot of work to get where you want to go. It doesn't just fall into the palm of your hands and you don't just get it because they see a little bit of a glimpse in you. I think from a physique standpoint, which a lot of people do wind up working out and paying attention to nutrition for an aesthetic or a physique, especially initially. I'm not, I mean, I don't think that's always the case, but I had a roommate, and I think this happens a lot, who, if you just met him today, he's a male model, he's in perfectly great shape, can go out and drink multiple nights a week and eat pizza and never looks any flabbier or more bloated. And a lot of people were like, oh, what a, what a you know, genetically blessed person was kind of the general, you know, how lucky and things like that. You were going to say douchebag or something like that. <laughs> no, I mean, he is a douchebag. He knows he is. Shout out to Keith, the douchebag. Um, but uh, he, you know, knowing him as a person, he was very difficult to gain weight through high school. You know, I mean, was a string pole and put in a lot of work and effort through high school and college to gain weight. People don't see that side, the effort and work ethic. Now he can maintain it much easier than it was to initially build it, which actually there is science supporting that. A lot of our muscle mass is stored in DNA, so it's easier to regain lost muscle than it is to gain new muscle. Um, that's the only indices of muscle memory that I've read about in research, but it does it does store. So we you know it's easier to maintain or rebuild than it is to build in the first place. But it takes away the effort and hard work that someone like that and a lot of people do who are genetically blessed. Looking at it from someone who wants to lose weight and have that physique, it's like, wow, look at this person who doesn't have the struggles I have, but their struggles were different and they put in hard work to get there. Right, but now you're talking more like some people will get lucky and you know, have that gift of being able to achieve something maybe with a little bit less effort than someone else. But let's say if I lost all my size now and I became really skinny because I do have that muscle stored memory, I could get to this size much easier now than it than it would have been previously. So if someone saw me from the age of like, I don't know, 32 up to 34 and saw I could go from really, really skinny to where I am now, they'd think, oh, he's naturally gifted. When in actual fact, I've worked for seven years to build this in the first place. And but that's my point is that people only look at it from their own perspective of they see natural gift or talent and it's they don't see the hard work that was put in before they ever met this person. And from his perspective, I can put on muscle much easier than he can. I can also gain weight easier than he can, but like, my lifts accelerate a lot faster than him. I was naturally, naturally stronger than he was. And that was something that he was envious of. Like I, I could not work out for four months and then pop back in and squat more than he can. You know I mean? And it's just, everybody has certain innate builds, gifts, talents, things like that, but it still requires hard work to improve them, maintain them, keep them, whatever it is. You know, it's, it's all a matter of context and perspective where natural tendencies lies as compared to hard work and effort. 
but people don't want to look at the bigger picture. They don't want to see that these people are still working hard. They want to turn around and say they got it by accident or they got it from just overnight sleeping and waking up and that's what they look like. And so everyone so much, everyone just overthinks everything these days and therefore they talk themselves out of working hard to achieve it. I agree with that. It's an immediate response issue. <laughs> and that's my biggest problem with when it comes to people's failures and successes. It's so many people are so quick to judge what someone else has or hasn't achieved based on their own assumptions. They think that if it's not done in the same time frame, or you know, there's too much talk around comparison. If I can't do it as quick as that person, then I shouldn't be doing it at all. I, I think that's definitely part of it. I also think that I think there's an emotional intelligence level to this equation of success and failure as well. Okay. So I believe that people. Uh, most people, we don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but a, a lot of people are falsely led to believe that the point of life is to be happy. Right. And they live in these cardinal directions of emotions, happy, sad, angry, calm. And the point of life is to stay in the happy and calm section and just not deal with the other ones. You know, the range of emotions is what makes life life. The pursuit of happiness is what people are seeking, but it's you need the range of emotions to understand. I think all failure is negative, but I think negativity is a vital part of the process. If you need to have negative feelings to have feedbacks to seek positivity, you need to have negative experiences to understand morality and your place in the world and things of that nature. So we're overly protective of ourselves, of our children, of all kinds of things to prevent negativity and, and bad feelings and, you know, where it's just where we get emotional eating. I want to eat instead of feeling these feelings. I want to drink instead of feeling these feelings. I want to avoid negativity at all costs. I don't want to fail. I don't want to feel bad. I would rather self-destruct in pursuit of this eternal happiness that I feel I'm, I'm deserving of and never feel the emotions on the quote negative end of the spectrum, which like I said, initially is a super vital part of the process in life in general. But I think that's because there's such a big fear of people accepting negative emotions because too many people in the world these days suffer from depression. I'm torn on that statement. Why? I think that a lot of the depression in the world, and I won't say a lot, a good amount of the depression in the world is self-diagnosed. I, I don't disagree. And I don't think, like, this is probably a different conversation um, that we could probably do. I do think too many people get given um, depression medication as a first resort and not a last resort. And I think a lot of people could probably, you know, get out of the states they're in before actually having to get to the point of medication but you know that's a conversation we can have on a different podcast yeah i just actually wrote it down medication pros and cons yeah there's not enough support for people to actually understand how to deal with those emotions and so therefore they just instantly get put on medication but i think because so many people are on medication these days because they don't know how to deal with their negative feelings i think a lot of people these days just don't want to feel negativity at all that's, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's, it, whether it's medicated, like self-medication, eating, drinking, drugs, whatever it is, avoidance, gambling, etc., or actual medication. You know, and I'm. That's not to say that people aren't correctly self-diagnosing with depression or anxiety, but 
I think those two terms, depression and anxiety, are widely used to mean experiencing anything negative or uncomfortable regularly and not actually diagnosed as clinical depression or anxiety, something that can be, you know, whether and being handed the appropriate coping skills. But this comes back to the whole point of people. So I did an Instagram post on this today, actually. Um, It was more so that most people are afraid of failure and they don't realize by being afraid of failure, they're also afraid, afraid to succeed. And I think success is just a brag of all our failures. I, I think my dad actually used to describe – my dad was a social worker. So growing up, I lived in a very psychological household, nice. uh, which probably explains my perspective on a lot of things. He diagnosed me with a fear of success. Okay. I, essentially, I would – ways that I would explain to diagnose that self-diagnose, which I know we just – warned people of that's uh, this is not the same thing as depression or anxiety it's not a real medical condition but it is something that people do exhibit in behaviors which is i would slow down towards the end of a book because i didn't want it to be over i wouldn't learn the entire song i would learn 80 percent of it on guitar instead of like actually fin- going to completion um i never totally lost all the weight I would have self-destructive behaviors, going out to drink, eating too much, et cetera, when I was very close to like the physique I wanted. And fear of success, another word for it or phrase for it is pre-failure. I would rather fail before I put in a lot of effort and fail anyway. And that's that fear of failure or fear of success is like I can either go ahead and fail now through self-destructive behaviors or I can put in a lot of effort and and possibly fail anyway. At least this way I'm in control. Mm. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people have that. I, a lot of clients, I've said that and they're like, can you please stop describing me? And it, it comes from like personal experience. That's something I dealt with until my dad said, explained it to me. And I was like, oh, that's weird that you say that because that's uncomfortably close to home, you know. So it is something interesting because no doubt that's probably circling through a lot of people's heads right now. What would you give as an actionable tip if someone potentially has fear of success? It really is person dependent, which is what makes our job so difficult is people want to ask a blanket statement like, how do I do this thing? And it's, it really depends. You know, that's, that's the greatest answer I learned in grad school was it depends. Well, one generic sort of food for thought that can get someone curious, I guess. Slowly widening our comfort zone for failure and, and discomfort. Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to feeling like we have to jump in and embrace negativity and and a giant hug, we, we should dip our toes and slowly, like maybe try something that isn't catastrophic failure, but like, Oh, that kind of sucked instead of Holy shit, my life is over kind of feeling. And then celebrating the successes we do have, you know, through that mindset, I never celebrate. I lost over 120 pounds, you know, between muscle gain and fat loss and never celebrated it. You know, it was, people would tell me how great I looked and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I still need to lose weight here or there or whatever or do this. It wasn't enough because I was never celebrating myself. You know, so I think a mixture of finding things that you can fail at, you know, I don't care if it's fucking bowling, you know, like I, I don't give a shit if I'm bad at bowling, you know, but the only way I'm going to get better is by trying. (laughs) And so inhibiting yourself from trying things that don't really matter. It's like, you're not going to lose friends because you're a terrible golfer and that kind of stuff where there is no 
real consequence other than a feeling of discomfort. If you fail at something, I think is a good way to kind of start that process. You know, and really just the rule of tens. Will this matter in 10 minutes, 10 days, 10 months, 10 years? If I fail this, yeah, it might be uncomfortable for 10 minutes. Is it going to matter 10 days later? Is it even going to be on my mind? Mm. What's the worst that could happen? You know, kind of think future projection. You know, if I, let's say I do fail at this action. Will it be consequential for the rest of my life? I like that. Got me thinking there. So I think that's quite helpful. Um, I've never heard of that tens actually, 10 seconds, 10 minutes. What was it? 10 months and 10 years. 10 minutes, 10 days, 10 months, 10 years. That's yeah. it. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 10 anything. But yeah, you know, progressively larger quantities of time. So, <laughs> Yeah, like I think a lot of people, where most people aren't sure about success and failure, I think it all comes down to priorities. So it's what, what do you prioritize in life? Because that's what you'll deem as most successful as part of your life or most mostly a failure. I definitely think there's areas where people feel more comfortable with that failure success process without realizing it. Some people it's cooking. Hey, I tried this dish and it did not turn out well, but you know, I, I, I used too much salt or I overcooked the chicken. So I'll try it different next time. Whereas other things, they put too much emphasis on it being perfect. And I've always said I used to manage a restaurant and well, I used to own a restaurant, but when I would hire people, if someone put – a lot of times people put perfectionist on their uh, resume like it was a good thing. Oh, I do things perfectly is what they're trying to elicit. But what they mean is I have paralysis of action because if something isn't perfect, I won't do it. Yeah. And, and a lot of times there's this fear of even taking a single step because what if I fail or what if it's not perfect or what if I it's awkward and people laugh at me? All true action is imperfect. All new experiences are by definition imperfect. Nobody walks out onto the baseball diamond and slaps a home run their first swing at the bat. Might get lucky. Yeah, they do. It's pure luck. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it ain't it ain't because repetition ain't going to keep that thing. As a matter of fact, I think baseball, even though I'm not a huge uh, watcher of baseball, I'm not a spectator by any means. I think it's one of the best sports for people to play. Or, or take some interest in because it is a game of failure. I've never watched it. So just from a statistics standpoint, if you go out and hit the ball, hit the ball in play and get on base, a third of the times you go to bat, you are a Hall of Fame hitter. That's a batting average of 333. You know, so that would mean one, one of every three trips to the plate, you hit the ball fair and it's not an out. Okay you are failing by any other standard other than baseball, you know? So that kind of mentality of like, Oh, you know, you maybe have a two fifty batting average, but you're good at other areas of the game, you know? So like, I think it's very, you know, it's one of the few sports, I mean, basketball too, but where you play both offense and defense, but they're totally different elements of the game. It's not just switching sides and going the other direction. And, you know, it's, it's just a very interesting Sport. Everybody plays the same offensive position, and then they separate defensively. Mm. The way it's structured is just very interesting. So it's it's kind of one of those. I mean, I, I imagine cricket is somewhat similar in its statistics. Yeah, from a bowling perspective. I think there's a lot of ways to approach success and failure, and it stems down to embracing negativity as part of the process. I think that's a, it can't be stressed enough. 
I do think it's important for people to understand. So I guess my tip for people is to understand how negativity plays a role in their actions because most people don't realize their actions of habit when they're in a negative state, which is what causes so many people to self-sabotage. So I guess my tip is try and be a little bit more aware of what you do do when you feel a certain way, whether it's positive or negative, actually, because I tend to find we have certain habits when we're in a positive mindset and we have certain habits when we're in a negative mindset and different scenarios lead to different actions, whether it's, you know, you broke up with someone and you sat on the couch eating ice cream every time that happens, you know, these are habits that happen repeatedly, but we're not aware that we're doing it. And so it's interesting to figure out why we do what we do when we feel a certain way. And most people can never connect. It's because what we're doing makes us feel a different way. And so even though they're self-sabotaging behaviors in that moment, we don't recognize it. And so most failures and successes, most people are just not aware of the little actions that they have in their habits. And so I think awareness is the biggest key for most people to take away. I agree with that. You know, hearing that point, a lot of immediate response behaviors are in the pursuit of avoiding negative feelings. I would rather eat this ice cream because it makes me feel good and not feel the way I was feeling ultimately being self-sabotaging to my weight and fitness goals, whatever, you know, and, and that's not always a bad thing. You know, I think, I think a lot of times emotional eating is seen as mm. bad and it's like, you can go to a wedding and eat emotionally. That's good. You know, sometimes we're in trauma prevention. I'm going through a divorce. Work is stressful. Like there's nothing, there's no, there's an end in sight and I just need to get through this tough time. I told clients recently, it's better to not focus on nutrition and pass your exams than the other way around because mm. this is only a momentary lapse in effort and we're dealing with nutrition and fitness the rest of our lives. I would rather you take two weeks off of giving a shit about your diet and, and just nail these exams and get through school and we can refocus, regroup once this crisis moment is passed as opposed to, oh, I got to stress out about my food and then I'm a failure for not eating well and I'm worried and now my exams and I'm slipping and study. It's like, just get through what's the most important thing right now and then we can refocus and start to change those behaviors and do better next time and be more focused and more attentive and pay more attention to how these events come about and our responses to them. You raised such a good point just there that most people do, but they don't recognize that they do is... They don't prioritize their successes, which is, so what they tend to end up doing is they look at where they're failing, but not where they're succeeding. And so therefore, just that mindset alone is self-sabotaging. We can't be great at everything all of the time. Some things will slip so others can succeed. And, but what all we tend to focus on is where we're not succeeding and what, and not what we are winning at. And so there's got to be a balance. And so I think like positive and all success and failure is a tricky conversation because we always want to be succeeding at everything. And we don't accept that sometimes we got to fail at something so something else can succeed. Which comes full circle. They're so intertwined. You can't talk about one without the other. You know, like it's they're so wrapped up into each other. A book I want to recommend to people that I read a while ago 
somewhat related, but it's more about the, the emotional side of things that I thought was really intriguing. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind. And it's really about it, the negativity side of things, where people have gotten to a point of being so sensitive and afraid of negativity that thought or opposite opinion is considered violence now. You know, mm. oh, this person doesn't believe the same thing as I do and they want to come talk about it. I'm going to boycott this lecture. I'm going to, you know, this is violence against me. And and it's reaching a point where the American mind is being coddled. And it's a very interesting book. It was written by two researchers. I would have to look up their name. I can do that to pay them justice. It is by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. That's an interesting name. Yeah, it's L-U-K-I-A-N-O-F-F and then H-A-I-D-T are the author's last names. But really interesting read, eye-opening, awesome book. Continuing to just accept the whole holistic picture of success, failure, positivity, negativity, and, and the beauty, you know, I mentioned that people falsely believe that the point of life is to be happy. If you were happy all the time, you would be happy when someone dies at their funeral. You would be happy when you get cheated on. You would be happy when your team loses. Whatever event that you should not be happy about, you would be. Because guess what? Wish granted, you're happy all the time. The point of life is to appreciate, understand, and feel the range of emotions that we have access to. It is to have joy in the process of emotions of nutrition of success and failure of whatever it is it should not be torture there should be joy in the process and the ranges of ups and downs that come with that process i think we should be gurus at the end of this <laughs> we're changing the name of the podcast to adam and blair's guru sessions <laughs> the wisdom wisdom for the day <laughs> These are our wads, our wisdoms of the day. Yeah, and how much are we charging for this podcast? <laughs> oh, right. Shall we wrap up for today? Yeah. I think so. I've quite enjoyed this episode. Are we recording another episode? I have half whiskey left. <laughs> I haven't even had one yet. What? No. We're drinking together, man. Man, I'll have to go get one after this. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us, guys. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It's been, um, you know, it's a lot on mindset. Um, you know, we'll get a, you'll get a range of different topics from us, you know, from mindset, from facts to myths to our opinions and all sorts. So I'm looking forward to the next few episodes. Um, we've got some really, really good content coming up. So if you want to get in touch with us, we now have our Instagram page, which is a healthy debate podcast. You're more than welcome to follow it. Um, you can probably find mine and Blair's uh, individual Instagrams on there, but mine's a underscore train coaching. Blair, what's yours? Blair.Solberger, MSRD. Uh, if you just type in Blair.Solberger, S-O-L-B-E-R-G-E-R, -E -E I think I'm the only Solberger. I'm definitely the only Blair Solberger in the U.S., but um, yeah, that should be enough to find me. So We're a couple episodes in now, so people can go back and rewind and hear that again if they needed to. So Yeah, I think we'll link it in the show notes and stuff too. Like It'll be all over the place. So you, 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 know. you will definitely find us. <laughs> right, okay. Actually, we've got some guests coming up in some future episodes. So, lately, all the episodes have been like to get going more just us debating our opinions and, and mental beliefs. And, and we kind of 
based it that way. We will like sugar substitutes coming up. We'll have a guest, Nicole Hoskins, who's a fellow registered dietitian. And that will be a little more scientifically based. We'll, we'll bring up the research on sugar substitutes and kind of lay some of the myths to bed. So we will have some research driven episodes as well as the, you know, mental and mindset based episodes. Yeah. We've got some funny friends as well. So we'll get them on us as well at some point. <laughs> yeah. We need to get Vaughn on here. I was I thinking, think I said that before too. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Nate. <laughs> yeah. Nate. Oh yeah. Nate's a fucking asshole. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, thanks for tuning in guys. And we'll see you next time. A healthy debate runs purely on fat and is completely free of banned substances. This episode was edited by Blair Solberger, so if it sucks, blame him. The next episode will be out in a week wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at A Healthy Debate or on YouTube at youtube.com slash at A Healthy Debate.